0: Well, good morning. We are so grateful to be here this morning and for the opportunity to share a little bit about Stanley. Stanley served here for 20 years, and on behalf of the family, we really just wanted to thank you all uh, for the opportunity that he had to serve here in this place in this last chapter of his life. My brother and sister and I have sort of this on running this ongoing joke because it was very common. Stanley was very grateful, Um, but it was common early on when we were growing up that whenever any of us got a job, he would go to the place that we were working and he would seek out the owner or the person that hired us and overboard thank them. It started early. I think Steve was 16 and he he was a busboy. And we all went to the restaurant to eat there. And Stanley went and found the owner and just said, thank you so much for allowing my son to work here. And Steve, with his tray of dishes, was like so embarrassed. But it continued to go on. We remember when Amy moved to Washington, D.C. right after Westmont. She finally got her first gig, and Stanley and Marie came to her office, and they wanted to see where she was, and Stanley looked for the, per- the woman that hired her and thanked her so much for giving her this opportunity. And it went on and on as all of our jobs got even bigger and more prestigious. He continued to do that, and it was this ongoing joke. So today we thank you all for allowing him the opportunity to serve in this place. He would always say, thanks for taking care of my kid. And we would all be horrified because we didn't feel like we were that, you know, we weren't total slackers at that point. We felt like we had worked hard, but he was so grateful. So hear us as we say, I've said to Paul many times, you know, Stanley didn't have a lot of hobbies. He did like to play golf. So Paul, would you let him just keep his office? You don't even have to pay him. Just let him keep his office. That's how much he loved being here. He loved serving and teaching and being surrounded by so many of you. So as I was thinking about his life and his message, uh, these words from Paul came to me that I thought this might be a great way for us to honor his legacy and share an incredible word for all of us this morning. So our scripture today comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it starts in verse 7. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, But not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed, and so I spoke, we also believe, and so we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise also with Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, and what cannot be seen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I remember that my dad and I were in the car. We were in Spokane a few months before he died. We had all gathered at Whitworth University because my niece, Hannah, was graduating from Whitworth. So the whole family flew up to Spokane, and I was always looking for and seeking out one-on-one time with Stanley. And he would typically do this by saying, hey, let's go for a ride. So we made up an errand that we needed to run, and we get in the car, and I knew that whatever question would be coming at me would always be a thoughtful one and one that I'd have to take a second to answer because if any of you knew him at all, he was not one that tended to chit-chat. He wouldn't ask questions like, oh, how's the weather? Or where'd you get that grill? Or, oh, how was that dinner last night? He didn't want to talk about a lot of that stuff. He could, he could do it a lot with sports, but there was always something deeper that he was seeking out, right? So, this particular day, I'm driving in the car with him. We're preparing for this big graduation weekend that's coming. And he said, Man, can you help me understand the world's fascination with longevity? I said, Dad, <laughs> whatever do you mean? <laughs> He said, no, help me understand. Why is everybody working so hard to stay alive so long these days? I said, well, perhaps because a lot of people have great lives and they want to stick around. They want to see their grandkids. They want to feel good. He said, I don't understand it. Why? And so since he's been gone these last couple years, I keep thinking and noticing what is our fascination with, Longevity. Why do we cling so tightly to this life? Why do we hold on to it so long? We work so hard, right, to preserve every moment. I'm a I'm a mom that has little kids, and I run around with a lot of mom with young kids, and the cameras are out every moment, right? We're trying to take pictures, every, and then we have millions of pictures that none of us know what to do with. But we had to capture the moment. We're trying to preserve it, to hold on to it. Carpe diem, right? This is your one shot. And it's, it's as if we live thinking that this really is it. This is all we have. Let's preserve it. Because if we are honest, if we really start thinking about death, it makes us nervous, right? It actually makes most of us terrified, if you really think about it. We naturally fear it. And we've been taught through the scriptures that death is something to be feared. It needs to be destroyed. It's an enemy. And so we are wired to fight against that and preserve this life that we have. So when this pain or affliction comes, we do whatever we can to stop it or to fix it. We see a wrinkle, we wanna get Botox. We have pain, we wanna get the meds. We're rushing to fix it ourselves because we live in a culture that says, You can have it all, and you can fix yourself. Preserve it. And even in the church, too often we've been sent a message that if you do all the things that God has asked you to do, if you come every Sunday, if you give generously, then you too will have a long, beautiful, prosperous life. That's not what Paul is reminding us of this morning. Paul is in a situation in which he has planted a church in this town called Corinth, and he has to leave. And after he leaves, there is a group of theologians and some highbrow apostles. They called themselves sort of super apostles. That's what Paul called them. They thought they were just that. And they started questioning Paul because they said, look at his life. He's a wreck. So these teachers in Corinth start spreading rumors and they're accusing him about lying, about seeing Jesus in Damascus. They said he's not legitimate at all because he wasn't one of the original 12. And they convinced these people in Corinth that that was really Paul. If he really is who he claims he he is to be, his life wouldn't look so disastrous. Because that what they were thinking is that a, an, a person that has devoted their life to Christ and to the church is going to look the part, right? They're going to have this huge, beautiful church. They're going to wear skinny jeans and have the best worship music and all the people are going to come. They're going to drive fancy cars. But Paul is writing to them and saying, I have been persecuted, afflicted, beaten, almost died numerous times. I'm in prison, kidnapped. And they're saying, what kind of life is that? That's a life with a faithful God. It sort of reminds me of Job. Remember that story in Job where he loses everything and all of his friends are saying, what kind of life is this? This is a life with God? How could it be so strapped with pain and suffering and be of God? Paul is basically saying, you're right, I'm a loser. I don't have all of these credentials. I don't have a fancy car in a big, big church. I Am pretty much suffering for the gospel. What is going on? How could a faithful, loving God allow all of this suffering to happen? I think for all of us, we can ask find moments in our life where we've had to ask this question. For us, it was in July of 2019. My sister on July 1st was diagnosed with a cancer. Five days after that, one of my dearest friends who I'd known and loved for 20 years passed away of leukemia. And five days after that, we lost Stanley, who we loved and adored, who was the center of our family. And we lost him unexpectedly. And I can tell you that there are many moments that all of us ask, where is God in this? What is going on? This is a wreck. We have pastors in our family, too, actually. Well, three. We had three in our family. We've been faithful. We've done all the things. Marie is a Baptist since she was so small, the most, strongest one of all of us. What is going on that all these things started to come undone? Have you asked those questions? The interesting thing here is that Paul says, yes, all of these horrible things have happened to me, but we have treasure in clay jars. Treasure in clay jars? It's interesting because he's writing to an audience that would have known at that point exactly what a clay jar was. Whether you were poor or rich, most people in first ancient Israel had these clay jars. They were very inexpensive to make. They were made out of dirt and water. And what is incredibly interesting, they were used for kitchen kitchen tools. They were used to store things. They were used in all of these ways. So when Paul says clay jars, everybody goes, oh, I have clay jar. I have 10. But they break easily. They are very, very fragile. So Paul's saying we have these bodies that we've been given that are pretty ordinary and break very easily. But what is precious about our bodies is that we have a treasure stored within them. And that is Jesus the Christ. There was an ancient proverb I heard a friend tell one time the story about an elderly Chinese woman who had two large pots and so she picked up her long stick each day and the pots would hang on both ends and she would carry them across her neck to gather water. One of the pots had a crack in it so when she would walk home the water would leak out of the pot. At the end of these long walks from the stream to her house, the crackpot would come home and it was half full. This went on for two full years. And then the proverb goes that the pot looks at the woman and says, I have a crack. I'm useless to you. Why do you continue to gather water up within me? And she says, oh, well, don't you see? All the flowers on your side of the path? Every day as I walk back, you water the seeds. And all of these flowers blossom because of your cracks. And I gather up these flowers and I decorate the tables because of you. My friends, we are a bunch of crackpots We are crackpots. We have these leaks. We have these things that are ailing. And we have had so much suffering, all of us. Paul even says death is at work in us every day. But he says this is the joy of it, actually, Because within these cracks of our lives, if we focus in on what's internal, what's eternal, not on our bodies and making them look perfect and live long and hold on to every life, but if we focus in on the treasure within us, beauty will come out of it because of the power of Christ. So much of our suffering is connected to loss, right? I've lost my relationship. I've lost my marriage. I've lost my health. I've lost my sense of security. I've lost my job. In these pandemic times, we've lost so, so much. And what happens when we lose things is when we start to grieve. And as I've learned about grief these last couple years, grief makes us mad. It makes us so stressed and disoriented because we've lost something so dear to us. And so we spend so much time eagerly looking to restore that thing that was lost, right? If I had this back, if we had him here with us, if we had more security. So suffering is always connected to loss. I have a 10-year-old who's going on 18 and she's very, very studious. And she, uh, her dad came to her and said, what would you like to do this summer? If you could go anywhere for two days with me, where would you like to go? And she perked up and she said, the University of Oregon. We live in Spokane, Washington. We have no idea why she chose the University of Oregon. We think she likes green and yellow. That was part of the deal. And so, and she likes Nike and Nike, as we all know, Supports the U of O. So her father, of course, smiles and says, that is a great idea. And they drive for for seven hours to get to Oregon. And he shows her the campus. She's 10. We all thought she was on a college tour, but she's not. She's 10. She just wanted to see it. But as she was there, she recognized that one of the football players on U of O, she had that football card because she's a collector like her father and is starting to collect all of these sports cards. So, when she came home, she was very eager to go find this card. We had recently flipped her room and had moved her out of her room downstairs. So, you can only imagine a lot of things were moved and shuffled around. There was a lot of chaos in our house. And so, she starts to scurry around and scurry around looking for this football card. And after a few minutes, she comes in and she falls into my arms and she says, I can't find it anywhere. It's so important now because we figured out that that player had a connection to the University of Oregon and the value of that card is going to go up and I need to find it. And so I tried to comfort her for a while and I said, hmm, I go, your dad finds everything. I'm pretty sure that he's going to find it. And then Kyle walked in right at the wrong moment and he said, I think I might have thrown it out. And she, ooh, She tends on the dramatic side. So her head's on the table. She is sobbing. And I thought, this is so close to what we deal with every day, right? I don't think we're going to find it. And I had this very clear moment. And I could hear my father in my head. Because I, too, had lost something valuable to me years before. And I remember him looking at me as a young child. And he said, let's keep looking, let's keep looking. And so I looked at Sydney and I held her up and I wiped her tears and I said, let's wash your face. Let's keep looking. And her countenance changed because I started to believe. And as we gathered together and we dug in and out of boxes way deep in the garage, there was a moment where that little black box with her collection, Kyle came in and had found it. And her whole countenance changed. Paul is saying, let's keep looking so we do not lose hope. We have been persecuted, but not crushed. We believe in a God and proclaim a Christ who compares himself to an old woman looking for a coin in her home, rushing and sweeping and digging through it all, desperate to find it. And Jesus says, and she finds it. And he compares himself to a shepherd that leaves the 99 to go find the one that has gone astray. Let's keep looking and the father who lost his son, who goes running out to meet him and brings him home. Let's keep looking. My friends, we have treasures in clay jars. The treasure is Jesus Christ, who was broken but not destroyed, lives on in and through us if we continue to hope in the gift that he's given us. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, amen.